1: taking all these books? I thought I'd take some light reading, in case I got bored. Welcome everyone to a special episode of Literary Treks. They're all special. I was going to say,
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's special.
1: They're all special because of my co-host, I'm Dan Gunther, and my co-host here, of course, is the wonderful Bruce Gibson.
0: Oh, well, thank you. That uh, That's so special of you to introduce <laughs> me that way, and you're very special yourself.
1: Oh, thank you. We're all special. We're Wait. like
0: peanuts, <laughs> like a Christmas special, huh? Yeah. Well, you okay. know, people feel sorry for us right now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we'll have to end every episode with "Next time on a very special episode of Literary Treks." Mm. You know that you makes know, and me... We can all learn a lesson or something. I want to go watch Blossom right now. Exactly. Whoa, <laughs> Joey. <laughs> oh anyway, uh sorry about that. We are not here to talk about Blossom, but we are here to talk about Star Trek books, which is what we do every week. And hopefully you know that if you're tuning in and uh you're prepared. So some of you probably know that the latest uh Star Trek The Next Generation comic series has started coming out, and that is the Through the Mirror series. We're going to do something a little different. Instead of covering each issue as it comes out, we're going to kind of gather them all together for another special episode in a few weeks. So once all of those issues are out, we're going to cover all of them as a feature in an upcoming episode. So if you're looking for that, have no fear. We will be reviewing those soon. Uh, But today instead, we're going to be doing the feature, how much for just the planet, a special um novel in a lot of Star Trek fans uh, hearts it's very polarizing novel we'll get to that though um so first of all regarding the through the mirror comic series Bruce I know you've read the first couple issues already I believe
0: I have read yes I've read the first one and a little bit of the second one I kind of was I was trying to decide if I want to read them all at once but then I couldn't help myself cuz I wanted to be at least somewhat <laughs> familiar with it to talk about it and yeah, the art, uh, there's different artists for each issue, but Scott and David Tipton write all five issues. But uh, it, it in the first issue, I will tell you, there's the main story, and then following that, there's a second story, a shorter secondary oh. story. So be aware of that, so when you read it, uh, you know you're getting two in that. I don't know about the other issues, but uh, as you said, we'll discuss that on an upcoming episode of Literary Tracks. And Amy Nelson is supposed to join us. If you hear that episode and Amy's not on, that means Amy didn't do her homework and she's a teacher (laughs) and she should know better.
1: Well, she certainly doesn't have a history of that. Does she? No.
0: (laughs) Well, in her defense too, she's going on a long vacation. So if something doesn't work out and she's then gone, so we might have to do it without her. So we're hoping that it all works out and she can join us.
1: Absolutely, yeah. It's always a lot of fun having Amy on, and this series looks to be really cool. I haven't looked at it myself yet, but it's a five-issue series, and it's coming out weekly throughout May, so we'll get all five of those issues kind of bang, 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 right in a row, which will be really nice, so we'll be able to get that whole story and cover it in an upcoming episode. So yeah, actually
0: the episode, this episode as it drops is the same week that the last issue comes out.
1: Oh, wow. That's going by fast. It's hard to believe. Uh, I remember how slowly the first issue or the first series came out mirror broken, uh, mostly because of the artwork issues, uh, with that, the huge amounts of time that it took to do the art in that so this is different, like you said, different artists, uh, than that first mini series. So yes. Uh, and you will cool. see
0: similar art, uh, in this series at some point.
1: Excellent. Well, uh, other than that, not much to cover in news, uh, unfortunately at the moment. So what do you say we jump straight over to the feature? Yeah. Let's talk about talk how about much what? this planet costs. That's a question.
0: <laughs> how much is just for the planet? <laughs> So, and did you mention we have an iTunes review? I don't remember if you said that or not.
1: I did not mention that. Well, now we're saying that. I forgot that.
0: So after the feature, we're going to read someone's iTunes review, and I hope
1: it's good. I hope so. (laughs) No spoilers on that yet, though. (laughs) Well, the novel we're discussing today, as I mentioned at the top of the show, is the TOS novel, How Much for Just the Planet. And this was one of the old numbered novels novel number 36, written by John M. Ford. And you might remember he also wrote the novel about the Klingons, The Final Reflection, that we covered a few weeks ago. So this is a follow-up to that novel? Not really? I don't know. This is one of those novels that's really hard to classify. And Off the top, I have to say it's a very polarizing novel. There are fans out there who absolutely love it. There's kind of this lore that's been built up around this novel. Uh, It has kind of this special place for a lot of Star Trek fans. And there are people who hate it because it is very different from your typical Star Trek novel. So to start start out with Bruce, is this your first time reading this or have you read it before?
0: This I have read before. It's been quite a while. I don't remember exactly when I read it, but I would say it was probably at least 20 some years ago. I didn't read it when it first came out. It came out October of 87, but I would say I probably read it somewhere in the mid nineties. So I do have a paperback edition of it and this is before they reprinted it and listed it as worlds apart book two. Mm-hmm. Uh, from final reflection as being book one, so it doesn't say that on here. So originally when it was published, it didn't have that worlds apart uh, title associated with it. Um, right. But from what I look in the inside jacket here, it shows that this I am holding a first printing of oh, this wow. novel. So I guess I got it either. I don't think I got a used bookstore, maybe. But either that, it's been it was sitting on the shelf at a.
1: Walden's book for a long time. (laughs) Excellent. Well, yeah, I did not read this when it first came out. Uh, The month that it came out, I turned five. (laughs) Oh, wow. That's great. I turned 20. (laughs) (laughs) That's excellent. Well, I I did not read this at that time. But your parents Uh, read it
0: to you as a bedtime story, maybe?
1: I doubt that (laughs) happened. I would have been so confused. <laughs> like a lullaby in some of the
0: songs that are in here.
1: <laughs> well, I have to admit, as an adult first reading this, I first read it in 2012 and I was pretty confused then. So, <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I read this first in 2012 uh, as an ebook. book So, um, yeah, I, I've never had a printed copy of this, despite having seen it in libraries, bookstores, kind of all my life. But then when it got to the time that I kind of want to read that weird one that I've read about online, I couldn't find it anywhere, so I had to buy the ebook. Interesting. So, so let me ask you, you said when you've been
0: seeing this around for all your life, did uh why did you never pick it up?
1: I don't know. I think hmm I I think I remember seeing it at like my junior high um school library and it might have just been a little bit too weird and also probably too scared to be seen reading a Star Trek book, especially one with Kirk in a tuxedo on the front. Like, you know, it just looks silly. And I kind of steered clear of it because it didn't look like something that would be up my alley. But, uh, after having read a lot about it and a lot of opinions about it, I was thinking, you know, I really have to just pick up this book and see what the heck it's all about. Yeah, <laughs> Well, I, I'm in the same boat. That's why I ask you, because I didn't know if the
0: cover was a turnoff. I remember going into, I'm I'm remembering this now. I, I think I did buy it at Walden Books. I remember going to Walden Books and I would go and pick different books. I wasn't going in order of the numbers. I was just randomly picking books and I'd see this one and I'd always was like, that just does not look interesting to me. That or, well, it's, it looks different, but I don't know if I want to go there. And I don't know what it was that changed my mind at some point to go ahead and buy it and read it. Um, but You know, eventually, I think maybe I probably bought it and maybe didn't read it right away. I think, and eventually got to it. And then all these years Mm -hmm. later, now I'm rereading it and it brought back memories.
1: Yeah. I, yeah. I, that cover, let's talk a little bit about the cover to start with. So we've got Kirk on one side and a Klingon on the other side. Now, obviously, the model they've used to draw the Klingon, I think, is Commander Krug played by Christopher Lloyd from Star Trek three, yep. but presumably he's supposed to be this captain Caden who's in this novel. That's my assumption anyway. Yeah. That's my and, assumption uh, too. Yeah. And we've got this kind of uh stocky man, bald man in the middle also with a tuxedo. I'm thinking that must be the character of flighter yeah. from the novel is my guess. Yeah. I think you're right. So yeah, they're bo- both Kirk and flighter are in tuxes. Mm hmm. So, and of course, you know, Kirk's kind of got a bit of a goofy expression on his face and the Klingon's giving him side eye. Like, it's a really interesting composition. And if nothing else, it really sticks with you. So, yeah, I, I don't know if I didn't read it because of the cover partially, uh, which is too bad because it's very distinctive and I think fits this novel perfectly. Well, because when you usually see a cover with Kirk
0: on and he's in his uniform, this he's in a tuxedo, he's got a bow tie on. I mean, mm-hmm. when's the last time you've seen Kirk with a bow tie on? Like never. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so exactly. it's just a little odd. And then this other little, you know, guy, kind of bald, and he's got his little fingers up, like he's gonna wait on you, like you know, table for two or something. You know, what I mean, it's just like, mm-hmm. what is this? Is this a Star Trek novel? It just looks kind of funny on the cover, but, um, and then the title, how much for just the planet? I mean, when you read the title too, it's like. What, what is this? I don't know if I want to read this or not. And that's what I was going through. I just, I put it off for
1: a long, for the longest time. Mm-hmm. You know, to the novel's credit, I have to say, it doesn't pretend to be anything that it's not like from the cover, from the title, you know, immediately, this is going to be goofy. It's going to be silly, you know, and it, it doesn't, it doesn't try to trick you into thinking it's going to be anything other than what it is, which turns out to be kind of a musical comedy. Set in the Star Trek world, as crazy as that sounds. That sounds
0: crazy. Hey, which, you know, reminds (laughs) me real quick. uh, I don't know if you remember this or ever heard this. And this is probably going back as far back as when I was reading this. I remember there was talk, serious talk of a Star Trek opera.
1: Oh, yeah. That they were
0: going to actually perform like, I don't know, in New York or something like that. And it never got off the ground, something, you know, whatever. And I guess that would have been the true first Star Trek musical on stage in an opera form, mm-hmm. which I would think would be really interesting, especially it, with Klingons. Cause I would love to yeah, see a Klingon it, opera, which I think there's somebody's doing that somewhere in like Holland or Germany or something.
1: Oh, I'm sure. I've, I've I'm heard sure. about that recently, actually. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, they've got a Spider-Man musical, which, you know, I get it. maybe that's not one to cite. It didn't do very well from what I've heard, but, uh, you know, why not? Why not a Star Trek musical? That would be really cool. And like we said, we kind of get that in this book. It's a Star Trek musical comedy. Um, the plot of this novel, I'll, I'll set it up for you. It's, it's fairly basic. Basically there's this planet that's discovered to have riches of dilithium and the Klingons and the Federation under the terms of the Eugenian peace treaty have to compete for the right, right to develop it. Uh, and basically hilarity ensues when the two crews kind of beam down to negotiate for the rights to mine the stylithium. And right from the get-go, basically the novel starts with a crew that's not the Enterprise. It's the, uh, What was it? The USS Jefferson Randolph Smith, uh, which is a prospector starship, basically. And uh, it's um, named after a con artist, if you do a little bit of digging and research. So right from the get go, if you're kind of, you know, a curious sort of person that maybe already knows that or looks at this name and says, you know, they usually name starships after famous people. If it's a person's name, I wonder who this is. And you look it up. And it's, you know, Jefferson Randolph Smith, alias Soapy Smith, <laughs> this famous con artist and fraudster. So right away, you kind of know this is weird. Something's up here. <laughs> yep, yeah,
0: it's well, yeah, the first chapter, you know, right away. I mean, I would say within the first two pages, I think you're get, getting clued in that uh, this isn't your typical Star Trek novel. Mm-hmm. And I won't say more outside
1: of that, because I'm going to comment on more of that piece later. Right. Yeah. We'll, we'll kind of just do the broad strokes uh, before we get into the spoilers, which, so yeah, we've got this crew of this prospector ship. They discover the planet. They discover that it's rich in dilithium and the enterprise is assigned to go and negotiate. And of course the Klingons have discovered it as well. And they're going and they're sending their team And so they beam down to the planet and, like I said, right away, you know, the Federation group under Kirk's command beams onto this stage that's decked out with Klingon symbols and welcome Klingons and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, about 200 feet away, there's another stage that's decked out with Federation stuff and that's where the Klingons beam down to. And it's, you know, oh, whoops, we messed that up. Sorry about that. But it's clearly part of this plan because we don't know exactly what the plan is, but we see that these colonists or, or the the civilization on this planet they're they have a plan in the works here and we see it kind of piece together bit by bit.
0: Yeah. There's one thing I want to go back on that you were just saying about how, you know, the enterprise was assigned to go and, you know, check out the planet for the stylithium and all that. The thing that, one of the things that bothered me was they weren't that far from this planet originally, but yet they go all the way back to earth to get the assignment to go back. Like, why did they Mm. have to go all the way back to earth
1: (laughs) to say, what should we do? You should go back. Okay, here we go. That did seem a little bit odd to me. And I actually reading it this second time, I was like, Oh, I didn't remember they went back to earth. I just thought they were, they were there. But So yeah, speaking of them going back to earth, I want to make a little comment. Another thing that Ford does with this novel is, you know, there's very broad comedy, but there's also very cutting, uh, subtle comedy as well too. Like, I love this admiral who gives them the assignment and just the, the bit of commentary on Starfleet and the Federation and stuff. The admiral This is, this is directly quoted out of the book. Now, you know, and I know the admiral said that we have only the best interest of the, what are they again? Dairady, Spock said, right. Their interests. That's at the heart of the book. So, you know, just a little bit of cutting kind of social commentary that like maybe the Federation and the Klingons aren't quite so different after all, you know, the Federation's like, yeah, these people, they're very important. The, ah, Oh, what are they called? Those, those guys. Yeah. They're very important. We've got their best interests at heart. Totally. Like, I love that. I love when the novels get a little bit subversive. It just, it tickles me. Yeah. It's,
0: (laughs) it's very much of the, you know, political, we really care about you, you people here. And where are we again? Who are these people? (laughs) You know, (laughs) it's just, you know, lip service, you know, well, we care about everybody, but I don't know who they are.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, like we said, there's very broad comedy. There's physical gags, nonsense. And this is something that I've noticed a lot of people have a big problem with when they're reading this novel. They have issues with like these big gags and that sort of thing. I would submit that Star Trek has occasionally done this sort of thing before, especially in the original series. You know, I would present The Trouble with Tribble's. I mud and a piece of the action, for example, as, as, uh, original series episodes that have at least touched on this before, but definitely it has never been completely embraced to the extent that this novel does. I don't know. Would you agree with that? Or would you say this is a totally different situation? I wouldn't say it's totally different, but I would say there's
0: some difference to it. Uh, yeah, I did see some elements that reminded me of The Trouble with Troubles. And yeah, you know, certainly I mud into piece of the action. I can see that too. It does have that comedy element, just like those episodes do. But I think this is, this takes it a little further and is a little more mm. slapstick. Uh, yeah, than very those slapstick. So, um, but again, there's certain tones and certain elements that do remind me of those other those other episodes. So I can really go deep into this now if you want me to
1: and really yeah i'm I'm that. gonna say this is a tough one to talk about without getting into spoilers because it's kind of one of those big reveals at the end of the novel that kind of makes the rest of the novel i think make sense might be too strong well, it's not phrase. even a reveal at the end i mean they're pretty much
0: hinted, yeah that's well true. i don't even know hint but they they basically somewhat come out and tell you yeah maybe a third of the way in, but yeah yeah, that's true, but you're but, but you're yeah right.
1: we'll 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 give the official spoiler warning here, I think, because yeah, they get into it right away, basically, okay, so the comedy of this novel, so this is this is where okay now,
0: now it's all coming out, I do have problems with this book, okay <laughs> <laughs> so i I love comedy. Comedy is like my thing. I do improv. I don't stand up. So it's not that I don't get, I don't have a sense of humor. Well, maybe I don't have a sense of humor and that's why I'm funny. Cause I don't know what I'm talking about, but, <laughs> but here's the thing. This is where I have an issue with, with some of the comedy. I don't feel that some of it, some of it I laughed at, but some of the comedy didn't work for me because I didn't really relate to the character in the moment. I didn't mm-hmm. find the humor of that moment within the characterization. And what I'm getting at is that I kept going back to thinking of the difference between um, The Voyage Home and The Final Frontier. We laugh at The Voyage Home and a lot of people will say that's a funnier movie than The Final Frontier because in The Final Frontier, the jokes seem forced. They seem to just, you know, we got to be funny. We're forcing the jokes in there. Where in The Voyage Home, it's the situation. It's putting our characters in the situation that we laugh at. We see them struggle. We see them try to fit in. We just, they seem out of place and they don't fit in to that place. They are outside of that place. They don't fit into it. So that's what works in The Voyage Home. And that kind of humor I appreciate more and laugh at more. In this book, I felt that the characters, our crew, didn't feel like a fish out of water they seem so accepting of everything that was going on as if it's just an everyday normal thing you know it's like you know towards the end of the book we have a pie fight and it's just you know kirk's like okay i'm gonna pick up a pie and i'm gonna throw it and it's like it just there was a lot of things in there where i really wanted to see the reaction of the characters about what's going on around them as opposed to just accepting it and just going with it.
1: Yeah, I will say if there's kind of one thing that I just had to turn off in my brain when reading this book, it was that a lot of these characters would just go along with it. And, you know, Kirk will say, yeah, okay, I'll put on a tux and I'll pretend to fight off a mugger to save this person's relationship or whatever. You know, it it doesn't make sense. But it's one of those things that I just... Maybe to the novel's detriment, I guess, I just had to kind of turn that part off and say, okay, it's, I'm just going with it. But then but, at the uh, same
0: time, but but doesn't it, like you're saying Kirk put on a tux, wouldn't it have been funnier to you in the same situation that Kirk is a little reluctant to put on a tux, but he decides mm-hmm. to go ahead and do it because of what needs to be done. And then Spock sees him in the tux and makes a little snide comment, which makes Kirk feel a little more uncomfortable about being in the tux. It's like those character relationships. I found our crew to be the least interesting characters in this book.
1: Yeah. I mean, there is that They're they're basically, and, and even literally in the, in the story, they're props used by this planet to like arrange in a comedic manner. Um, (laughs) that said, man, there, there were just parts that I was killing my, you mentioned the, the pie fight the very end I think it was the very end of the pie fight where Spock beams down and (laughs) I can read this with William Shatner as Kirk Spock Kirk said Spock then from the heart Spock he held out his arms somebody give the captain a pie at least 12 pies intersected on Kirk and I mean that's the only line that tells you what happened there and you know 12 people just threw a pie at kirk in that moment and i know it's ridiculous and i know it's you know very broad humor and like it's totally you would just shake your head if this was a televised show i think but i'm killing myself laughing at this and i can't help it i don't know what it like i just can't help killing myself laughing at this well see and for me i i mean there was parts i
0: did laugh uh (laughs) But, like, the pie fight didn't really make me laugh at all. As a matter of fact, it reminds me of an episode of the Brady Bunch where they all threw a a pie at Cousin Oliver. They all ganged up on him at one point. Um, But but that's a whole other thing.
1: I really need to do... That's for your Brady Bunch podcast.
0: uh, Okay, a little sidebar. I actually, a couple years ago, talked to someone about doing a Brady Bunch podcast because I love Brady Bunch, okay?
1: I love it. So,
0: (laughs) I probably knew Brady Bunch a little better than I know Star Trek, actually, because there's less to know. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) But uh, anyway, um, again, it's like, and I saw somebody else's review online because I read some people say, you know, someone referred to as, as, you know, the Three Stooges, and I see some of that in here, but at the same time, I mean, I'm not a big Three Stooges fan necessarily, but when I watch this, some of the funny parts to me isn't necessarily the pie going on someone's face. Again, it's the what the situation is at the time and who is reacting to it and how and why. As opposed to just, there's a pie fight going on and as you're just saying, Captain Kirk's like, you know, give me a pie, give me a pie. And it's like, okay, well, I see where <laughs> this is going. They all give him a pie you know, okay. Like that, that doesn't work for me as much, Mm -hmm. you know, again, it would have worked. I don't know. Maybe it would have been funnier to me if, uh, Spock got a pie. I don't know.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Part of it to me also. And I think this is why I would not have enjoyed this if I had read it as a kid. Um, but knowing these characters so well, like I can just picture Spock's expression at that, just like where he doesn't really show emotion, but his eyes go just slightly wide and he kind of like looks around. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I and I know it's not spelled out in the book and maybe it would be better if it was, but, you know, something like that. Like I just imagine these characters in that situation and as absurd as it is, I just I really get a kick out of it.
0: Right, that. and that's what you're, so you were like filling in the blanks or so you're putting it between the yeah. lines and that's where I feel... In my opinion, the book would have been better if it would have, you know, gave gave us what Spock's opinion was and his expression and what he was thinking at the time. And as opposed to just Spock beams down and he sees Captain Kirk get a pie and next scene, you know, I was just like, (laughs) like, so the characterizations felt off, you know, it's again, it it reminds me of the final frontier where there's certain gags and, and jokes that just don't really work because it seems forced as opposed mm-hmm. to the voyage home where you're laughing at our characters because of what they're struggling through in their situation.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. And I totally get that. That makes a lot of sense to me. For sure. And I did.
0: And don't get me wrong. I mean, there were parts I did find funny and I laughed a little here and there. It's just, there were, I guess what I'm getting at is there was just so many times where something happened and I was just like, Oh, I was hoping a little more there. That oh, that fell flat. It's like uh, you're, like, I almost felt like you know you're you're
1: delivering the punchline, but not great. You know, no, fair enough for sure. This I have to say, like when I first read it, as much as I knew it would be kind of silly and off the wall, I think I was totally expecting a follow up to the final reflection, and I thought it would be like another story that delves deep into the Klingon psyche and all of this stuff. So I was really surprised reading this, you know, even knowing that it was silly and absurd, that it just really had nothing to do with that. And it was really just this broad musical comedy that still involves the Klingons in an interesting way. And the one way I will say that I think it continues forward from the final reflection is it really... For lack of a better term, it's not the right term, but it humanizes the Klingons, which I'm sure they would really object to me using that term. But not, you know, not, we get not these, these Klingons. Yeah, well that's true. That we get very different Klingon characters, and one in particular, uh, whose name I can't remember, but he kind of is partnered up with Uhura for much of the yeah, book. it's proke. And he Proke, right. And he's a big, uh, I I would call him a cinephile almost like he really likes movies and old, uh, earth
0: stuff like that. It's when (laughs) their, their ship contacted the enterprise, his greeting message was a quote from Orson Welles.
1: Right. And so of course that leaves the enterprise crew incredibly confused and the captain saying like, okay, Proke, So why should I not assassinate you right now? Like what, what the heck was that? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, you know, yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, I, I, so let's talk about the Klingons for a second because okay. I mean, w- so, you know, we, we usually like lay some things out here. So what we want to talk about, we're jumping all over the board right now.
1: So <laughs> we're totally, we've thrown the script out the window. <laughs> we do not have a good stage manager like the Dirady do. No, we're just, uh, but we sure know what he looks here. like.
0: Cause if you look at the cover here, there he is. But so, <laughs> I'm, so the final reflection, I mean, and, and we reviewed that in an episode of Lyric Treks. It was number 216, I think. Uh, I don't know. I made a note about it earlier, but anyway, now I can't find it. But anyway, um, uh, we'll find that out. But anyway, so this, what I had a problem with is with the final reflection, we really delve deep into the Klingon culture. And even though it's a lot of it's not quote canon now, it was just very interesting. It was a very interesting take on how the Klingons were and their culture and how it related to the Federation and how they perceived the Federation and in a lot of ways how there was a lot of parallels between the two. And then we get to this one, and it's the same author, and it's the like you said. I mean, it's just a slapstick comedy throughout, and I don't. I'm like you, I mean, I read this years ago, but I didn't remember all the detail. But after reading The Final Reflection, which was my first time reading it, I thought going into this, it's like, okay, we're going to get a little, I know this is supposed to be a comedy, but we're going to get more of that claim. We're going to find some more things out. And we really don't.
1: Yeah, that's true. I mean, it doesn't really expand a lot on what was given there. I do like that he carries that's those same Klingons forward. Like we don't learn a lot more about them, but we still see kind of that brand of Klingons, if that makes sense. And uh, I do like the characters. And the one thing I have to say is I like that we get into the motivations of them. So Captain Caden, for example, who's the, the commander of the Klingons, he's a pretty reasonable guy and he goes along with a lot of what's going on. But when certain things happen, he interprets them through a Klingon lens and, you know, okay, well, I got to go kill Kirk now. <laughs> you right. So, you know, some of that I really appreciate. And um I, I don't know any, any novel that involves a Klingon captain getting his foot stuck in a toilet. <laughs> I'm sorry. I love this book. Oh, man. Okay. Uh, it's ridiculous. I'm sorry. <laughs> Uh, so. <laughs> I don't even know. Like how? How did this novel get written? I'm so glad that it did. All I can say like... is,
0: have you noticed they haven't tried to do another one? <laughs>
1: <laughs> this is true. This is true.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I, well, I wasn't, yeah, I'm not bothered. Okay. So we're coming from different ends of this. Cause you're saying, I love it. I'm not saying I hate it at all, but mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, the, it doesn't bother me. The, the Klingon foot going into the toilet. I mean, there's parts of it that, that I thought were funny and worked. It was just, Oh man, there's just so parts of it that I just thought it could have been so much better. Just like it was too easy at times. The the two crews, the Klingon crew and the Enterprise crew, they got along too easily at the be- like throughout the book until, like you're saying later. The Kling, you know, the captain's like, "Oh well, I need to be a Klingon and want to kill Kirk now." But you know, before it's like, <laughs> you know, they beam down and they're, you know, Kirk and Captain Caden are hanging out, you know, in the hotel bar having drinks and just like old chummy buddies and just like you know n- there's no tension between the two really there's not you know this is awkward sitting here drinking with a Klingon I mean there was they got along better than they did at the end of the final frontier movie where they all were having drinks at the end on the enterprise I mean <laughs> she has wonderful muscles I was just gonna do that <laughs>
1: Oh, sorry. No, I'm glad you did
0: it. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing, but it was almost like that. I don't know. It, um. Anyway. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Toilets. So fair enough.
0: I well, mean, you know, we don't see toilets on Star Trek. Now we do.
1: That's true. You know. <laughs> no, and, and fair enough. I would be lying if I said there weren't times where I'm reading this and I just roll my eyes and go, oh, God. Like There is some stuff that is just ridiculous and yeah like there is a certain amount of manipulation to get characters into particular places that don't make a lot of sense you know i'll i'll totally cop to that but yeah no i'm i'd be lying if i said i didn't love this novel the one thing that i wanted to talk a bit about is kind of the artistic flourishes for lack of a better term that John M Ford put in this novel the one that jumped out to me that just i really loved was at one point Scotty and a Klingon uh almost come to blows so they have to have uh, a fight and Scotty is to pick the the weapon and he picks golf clubs and by that i don't mean they're going to beat each other about the head with golf clubs but they're actually going to go and play 18 because Scotty is a true Scotsman and, and you know, plays golf. Do you hear this, people? One...
0: Dan likes pie fights, Klingons playing golf, and
1: Klingons <laughs> getting their foots in toilets. And Chekhov showing up in, like, knee-high socks and baggy, you know, puffy short pants tucked into them and a vest and a little golfer's hat to caddy for Scotty. I mean... How can you not love that? That's so great. Like that's second only to his little Dutch boy costume in Star Trek three. Like this great stuff. Oh, well, we're going to get so many well, letters no, that's, and emails well, and that, saying, how could Dan like this? This ridiculous.
0: No, no, no. You're, you may be getting some that say the, you know, they love it with you and they, they can't stand what I'm saying, but, <laughs> but, um, there there's parts of those scenes that I like too. I mean, it is funny to think, you know, Scotty chooses golf and and a Klingon. Again, I mean, these aren't the Klingons we're used to, you know, TNG post all that, you know. This is, mm-hmm. you know, again, we mentioned the novel was written in 1987. And so this is more based on the original series. Klingons are a little more human-like. So, you know, you kind of give a pass to that. You know, they're not really going with the Klingons from the motion picture and uh, the search for Spock at this point, even though they put basically Krug on the cover. <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyway, um, but yeah, the golf thing's okay, especially when they're being attacked and they're using their their clubs as their weapons and like swords and Mm. things i mean yeah i mean that that i actually did laugh at
1: (laughs) yeah and i mean it's it's ridiculous but it's ridiculous also that the klingon would be like "Oh, okay yeah i'll play golf sure (laughs) right exactly (laughs) don't you want to see the klingon
0: not want to do that and feel a little uncomfortable about it you know, and totally. Scotty's trying yeah. to convince the Klingon how to swing the club like this, you know, as opposed to they just <laughs> go out as if they've done this a million times before, you know, the Klingons play golf all the time, you know, there's the Klingon country club, you know?
1: <laughs> well, you've never experienced golf and you tell you've played it in the original Klingon <laughs> or something, I guess, I don't all know. Right. But yeah, like for instance, one time uh, they're out on the golf course And there's this mountain peak that Scotty's gazing at and it's ringed with stars. And he comments that doesn't, there seem to be a higher power controlling our destinies. And I mean the mountain peak with the stars, stars around it's the Paramount pictures logo, which is again, I, I don't know. I don't think there's anything necessarily subversive that he's trying to say here, but it just almost feels like a little dig at Paramount. Like, they controlling of the Star Trek brand or something like that. I, I don't know. I, that was one that just leapt off the page. I absolutely loved that. <laughs> um, and then the other thing that I wanted to talk about a bit was uh, the cast of the novel. There are a ton of uh, other science fiction authors and some of them Star Trek authors that are cast in this book as various characters. So... We're introduced to Princess Dee Dee the First, is this character's name, and that's actually Diane Duane. And then her kind of paramour, Pete Blackwood, is played by Diane Duane's husband, Peter Morewood, who has also written Star Trek novels uh, with Diane Duane and stuff. And then this one, I didn't realize when I first read it, but I looked this up this time. Neil Gaiman shows up as Leon the Magian at one point in the novel, which... I was a big surprise. I wasn't expecting that. Yeah, one. Yeah, I didn't either. I, I, I know where you got these off Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. Totally. Cause I didn't uh, too. I saw it there too. I'm actually reading American gods at the moment, which is funny. So I was like, Oh, Neil Gaiman. That's cool. <laughs> and we've got Pamela Dean as Pam. We've got Janet Kagan as Janika. And then, um, AC Crispin, and Crispin. Uh, there was, uh, Lieutenant Ann Crispin in the novel, which was based on her. And then the stage manager who shows up from time to time when people crash through the sets or whatever. And he says, you're not supposed to be here. You're supposed to be over there and moves them to where they need to be. That's actually John M Ford. And he describes himself, you know, as he looks as the stage manager trying to orchestrate this whole thing
0: (laughs) you know and and when you say stage manager i mean he is the stage manager of this whole book you know he's kind of taking charge of things and a lot of times when i was reading this book i kept thinking how this felt like a uh like it could be a tng or voyager book that's taking place on a holodeck you know totally yeah and uh it's almost like you know this is his uh ford's holodeck Star Trek adventure.
1: You know? <laughs> well, there's like one point when I think somebody's hand brushes up against the, the brickwork at the back and he's like, Oh, this is painted bricks. And I'm like, I think I know that set from Star Trek. Cause there's the, there's those bricks that show up in the background of every time they're in like some castle or something. Right. <laughs> and they're obviously just painted bricks. And I think, This is the Star Trek crew discovering they're just on a set, but like in just a normal episode or something like that. And someone even mentions like styrofoam rocks bouncing around at one point. So I'm like, this is just, you know, them piercing the fourth wall and discovering the, I don't know, background of the 1960s Star Trek TV show. I don't know.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I just love looking at Dan's face right now. He's just beaming.
1: (laughs) Oh, I just, yeah, I, it's kind of one of those things that like, if I hadn't, uh, I would probably really dislike this novel if I was trying to take it seriously as a Star Trek story. But I don't know if maybe in my mind I'm picturing it more as just somebody having fun with Star Trek characters rather than it being something that actually happened. I I don't know if that maybe is playing a part in it, but yeah, I I can, I totally understand why people would dislike this book.
0: Well, yeah, I I think, you know, it's not your typical Star Trek novel or Star Trek story. Uh, I think maybe I read this in your review online, Dan, but, uh, or someone mentioned it somewhere that, you know, Monty Python. I mean, it's very Mm. much like a, Monty Python type Star Trek story. So if you go into it and think, oh, this is Monty Python's flying Star Trek circus, then you know, maybe you'll approach it going in a little different uh, than expecting what you get at a regular Star Trek book. When we get later into the book, prior to the pie fight, you know, going back to the whole Princess Dee Dee <laughs> and Peter Blackwood, <laughs> So they they separately approach different crew members uh, and part of the Klingon crew uh, because they're kind of setting up this stage show that's going on on the planet, but our crews don't know this. But Dee Dee is a princess who is being forced to marry, or no, wants to marry Peter Blackwood, but her royal family doesn't want it or whatever, and she wants it to make him look like a hero. So if... You know, uh, this what the ambassador is. um, uh, Charlotte Sanchez is the Mm -hmm. ambassador that they brought back from Earth for this mission. She convinces her and this other Klingon officer to help her stage something so it looks as if her Peter Blackwood had saved her or something and make him look like a hero. And at the same time, he's approaching Captain. Caden and Captain Kirk to ask doing a similar thing. And as it's playing out, they're all kind of stepping on each other's toes, not knowing what the other is doing. They don't know that they know and they know whatever. And I thought, Oh my gosh, I feel like I am reading Star Trek meets the sixties Batman series meets (laughs) three's company.
1: (laughs) Oh my God. Totally.
0: (laughs) And then make it into a musical.
1: And there you go. This is your book. (laughs) Totally. Now, if I'd read that, like as an idea for, I'd be, no, 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 don't do that. But I don't know. I I think it works. Like I really enjoy this. Um, and like I mentioned earlier, it's not even just for the really broad comedy stuff. Like I, like John Ford is a talented enough writer that he just crafts these little bits with his words that I just feel resonate really well. Um, there's the one quote, I think it's, um, right near the end, uh, where, you know, Flighter has revealed everything that's happening. He's like, it was plan C. It was comedy. We wanted to set you guys at ease and, and, you know, make you, you know, not want to whatever, like whatever their end goal was. It was just kind of to put them off balance and stuff. Kirk said, you can't run a society based on comedy routines. You can't, Flighter said almost innocently, I thought it was rather a common thing. Not under that name, of course. I just, I love these little yeah. digs, these little subversive, I don't know. I just. No, I'm with you on
0: that. I agree. I like that.
1: Yeah. Um, Another little bit, like, I, <laughs> it's, it's totally silly and it's totally obvious, but even when they're not dealing with this planet, there's just some great comedy stuff going on where you know, Kirk is told that, you know, Ambassador Sanchez, Charlotte Sanchez will be the ambassador, blah, blah, blah. And McCoy's like, oh, do you know her, Jim? And he's like, no, I, I don't know her. He's Like, oh, that's a first. You know, I don't know how many times we, you know, run into some woman who's an old flame or, you know, you just know from dating her once or whatever. And he's like, yeah, I guess it does happen a lot, but not in this case. And they come around the corner and he's like, oh, Charlotte Sanchez, oh, right. She's like, Oh, yeah, you bought me that ice cream soda once, right? This is Bones, this is Spock, this is Charlotte. Yeah, <laughs> it's just, I love it. Right stuff. before that, like,
0: McCoy was making a comment how it seems like every other mission there's some woman who boards the Enterprise that Kirk has had a relationship with, and now they run exactly. into
1: one. Exactly, <laughs> Charlotte caliente sanchez uh i'd like you to meet my spock officer commander first and dr mcneil i mean mccoy <laughs> like i just i love it it's so stupid it's so, it's stupid, so stupid but i love so it stupid. so okay
0: <laughs> oh my gosh so what the first thing i want to one thing i want to mention is I, I mentioned earlier in the show about the first two pages so i started to have problems with this novel At the very, very beginning because they are in the mess hall, our enterprise crews in the mess hall, and they're (laughs) getting their food from the replicators or whatever. And Kirk's orange juice is a luminous electric blue orange juice. It's blue. It's electric. Mm -hmm. It's electric blue. And he's sitting there with his orange juice with scotty mccoy and spock and he doesn't mention a word about it he just looks at it (laughs) oh it's blue and he drinks it and it tastes like orange juice it's just interesting that it turned out to be this electric blue and i'm thinking that's where i first i was like wait what that that doesn't sound like kirk kirk would get look at his orange juice orange juice blue and there's his chief engineer right there next to him and say (laughs) scotty why is my orange juice blue? Ah, oh, there's something wrong. Blah, 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 I have to fix it. Blah, 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 you know, but, but he just drank it. And I'm like, who in the right mind is going to drink orange juice? That's blue. <laughs> and I just, was like, I didn't I, think that was funny. I just was like, and then we get to the other ships, the Klingon ship and the other Federation ship, and they have problems. And they're all just like eating the, the batter toast on the Klingon ship, even though it's a strange, con- <laughs> like no one's phased by this. And then the crew of the, of the um jefferson randolph smith their computer is going bonkers and acting real weird and silly to the point that well it got it got peppermint
1: milkshakes and got peppermint it.
0: milkshake because it's got peppermint <laughs> and the captain asks her vulcan science officer about it and she's just like oh well you know it was programmed by humans there's nothing wrong with it and then leaves i'm like it just was like none of that to me was really funny it was just like i i don't like these characters aren't like they're just accepting everything that's the problem i have with the novel with the comedies everything is accepted you Mm. know and it's just like i want kirk to question why his orange juice is blue and there's that that can be a funny scene right there but just to have kirk look at his orange juice Notice it's blue and drink it and think it's fine and not say a word to anybody is not really that funny to me. To me, there's so many missed opportunities at a comedic level in my, for me and my sense of humor and, of, and comedy that I just that were missed. Like this sounds this read to me like a first draft and then go back and fill in all that those elements in there. And then I think you've got a stellar comedy Star Trek novel.
1: I, I do have to admit, I have no idea what the point of the blue orange juice was. Like it comes up again a few times right. in the book. Did, did Was that ever paid no. off? And that somewhere? was the, like, I can't, that's the other I thing. Like, why
0: were the computers acting up on all of these ships? There was no relationship <laughs> between these ships. They were all in different parts. They hadn't even met each other and all this stuff. And all their computers are acting up and acting weird and there's no payoff. There's nothing that explains why that stuff was happening. Like, I kept reading the book, yeah. waiting to find out what caused this. There's something, maybe something to do with this planet or the dilithium
1: crystals or something. Like, and nothing. Like, I don't even understand why that was even in there. I did really appreciate the Chekhov's gun of the giant inflatable <laughs> starship, though. And it the way it showed up at the end. I thought, I thought that was great. Yeah but it's a giant. Okay. So it packages down to something very small, but you open it and it inflates to this huge starship and it's a, a deployable target drone, I guess they called it or something like that. And one, there was one that was a constitution class ship and one that was a Klingon target drone or something like that. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, And when it it shows up in a amusing way. And when
0: the, yeah. And the, and this is more at the beginning, but when the starship, the Jefferson Randolph Smith, the computer is now running the ship because the crew jettisoned through a a escape pod to the planet, Um, the computer goes to dock the ship into the inflatable Enterprise, basically, and pops it, and the Klingons wonder where the ship went. (laughs) Like, it's just... (laughs) But which was weird. Again, this is where it's like things, like, fell... like missing to me because that happened and the scene ended. And the Enterprise is there because they were seeing two starships. And so the one starship Mm. disappears because we know it, you know, deflated. And the Klingons are like, what happened to the other starship? And then we jump ahead to a next scene and the Enterprise is on Earth asking what to do for their next mission. And the Klingons are going to the planet. And I'm like, well, wait, one ship disappeared Why did the Enterprise and this Klingon ship who were right there each other that saw
1: this happen just I guess they left each other never talked like I don't understand what happened after that yeah that part like I said I didn't remember that they popped back to earth when I was reading this and was like that's weird like I don't really understand that but yeah. No. The more you talk about this, the more I'm like, no, I don't get that either, <laughs> but I still love it. I don't know. I'm, I'm not doing a very good job of just, no, I think you are. I but... mean, I think th- th-
0: in my opinion, there's certain elements of the humor that works. And then there's other elements for me. That's too slapstick that things just fall short and, and the characters aren't quite reacting the way I think they should be or would be in these situations. And I would have liked to have had that. And then mm-hmm. there's situations that are just in here that don't really even are resolved, I guess, or completed. Like everything, there's just things that just feel like it just falls short, you know? Like it, there's missing pieces yeah. in it. Um, that That's the, where I'm struggling with it. However, I will say, um, as I tweeted out that I'm reading this book, I've had a few people comment on my tweets and say, Oh, I can never finish that. I could never get through that book. I never finished that book. I had a few people <laughs> say that to me and mm-hmm. I did not have a problem reading the book. There was never a point where I was just like, I cannot get through this. It wasn't like it was that bad. It was just, you know, it. I I, I mean, I was enjoying it. I was going through it. I was actually enjoying it. There was just things about it that were falling flat for me.
1: Yeah, no, one. fair enough. Um, so We've mentioned the Jefferson Randolph Smith a couple times, and so we've got it's basically got a three-person crew. Um Captain Trofimov, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing her name correctly. The first officer, whose name is who, and he's a withiki which is like a winged bird like creature, I guess. And science officer Tavau, who's a Vulcan. Um so I see you've got in the notes here some things about these characters, as well as two teenage Dairady kids, basically Orvi and fed who play a role in the story as well. Um, What what did, what did you think these characters bring to the story? That's what
0: I'm trying to figure out. Um, Actually, well, first of all, this, these crew members that went in the escape pod, they land on the planet and they run into these two uh, teenage civilians that uh which actually you know i actually enjoyed these characters to be honest with you um the when this crew gets out of the ship and they're trying to figure out where to go where to walk to the teenage kids are like oh my gosh these are aliens oh you know they're kind of invading our our world what should we do and and the crew is very friendly and saying hey could you help us out and tell us how to get to town and they go yeah go that way and they point them in the opposite direction to make sure they're they're going (laughs) the right and throughout the book we see these three crew people going through situations where they just can't seem to get to where they need to go and they're running into people who are just like not really helpful or they're afraid of and it's just so there was comedic elements to that that i actually liked um (laughs) So, but what, what I was confused with, and maybe you can help answer this for me, Dan, they finally get to a point where they get, they find, what was it? They got into a ship or something that got uh, beamed to the Enterprise. Oh, no, they found, no, they found Kirk's uh, communicator or something. And they, right. they yep. you know, they don't say who they are. They just say, Enterprise, beam us up. And they beam up and they hide throughout the ship. And find their ship docked in the shuttle bay and hide in there. And I kept thinking, why? They're Federation officers. Why are they hiding? From yeah, you know, they just been basically rescued. That they rescued themselves by being the Enterprise. But then they're hiding. Like I don't, I didn't understand mm-hmm.
1: why they were hiding. The only thing I could think of was like they'd basically gone like three days or something without food or whatever, and they like found the mess hall. I think they were delirious. Like I, I don't know these they're They're crazy to begin with, um Spock obviously has some sort of connection with Tavao, and like but that wasn't explored then, was it 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 comes up just a few times, like Spock kind of does this incident perchance involve a peppermint milkshake? Well, why'd you say that Spock? uh, ah, no reason. <laughs> <laughs> like he just kind of so th- this character of Tavau really fascinated me because she's a Vulcan who's very messy apparently like that's her big like defining characteristic With milkshakes. and she apparently at some point spilled this, you know, Vulcan version of peppermint milkshake onto the computer which by the way Vulcan's vegetarian's milkshakes milk product I don't know if we want to explore it's that too milk. much maybe it's soy yeah. milk yeah okay or um, almond. <laughs> or almond milk. <laughs> or Nest um, Quick. <laughs> that could be, yeah. <laughs> but she apparently spilled it on the computer in on the Jefferson Randolph Smith, and that's why their computer is all buggy. Although she would never admit yes. it. Yes. Because every time the captain asks her about it, she's like, Ah no, I it was fine, I had nothing to do. But the computer with it. yeah it's, was it's... calling
0: out on calling her out on it. And when the Enterprise scanned the ship, Spock identified that Milkshake was in the console. I was like, That's powerful scanning equipment right there. Because he really identified the, the flavor <laughs> and everything.
1: Yeah, that was impressive. And then, of course, once they're in the the escape pod, I guess she's got another milkshake with her or something, and they get tossed about in it. No, the computer uh, shot the
0: the, the milkshake onto them because they got in and the captain said something like the computer says, is there anything else you need? And she said something like, yeah, I need a hard drink or something like that. And then it starts spewing out milkshake, you know, like because it's thick
1: and hard enough. I don't know. It was just weird stuff like that yeah it's it's ridiculous it's totally ridiculous but I, I don't know I just loved this character and I loved I don't know if it was embarrassment that Spock showed <laughs> that, that he knew this woman or something I don't know it was ridiculous but again just these little weird bits that I love I don't know
0: yeah and I like Orvi and Thad the two teenagers I thought there was a good interplay between the two of them um hmm and I don't even remember how things ended with them. Didn't they get to the enterprise too? They went to the enterprise.
1: Yeah. So they, they, they found the escape pod and got into it and were beamed up in the escape pod. Right. Um, I think. Yeah. Yeah. But then. Yeah. Cause they were like, Oh yeah. They were in the escape pod. And it was like, we can't stay in here to get taken up to the ship. We, the door's open we won't breathe, but it gets beamed up. So they're like, Oh, okay. And, uh, Yeah, they, they encounter the three characters from the Jefferson Randolph Smith and they both basically con each other, they think, (laughs) or something, you know, to, yeah, it's, it's basically, it's absurd humor that I don't think really is supposed to pay off big time other than to showcase silly situations and wrap everything up eventually. I don't know. Well, and we talked
0: earlier before the show on the other side of the page about the music in here, because this is a musical.
1: Yeah. That's one thing that I know there exists online. And I kind of wish I'd done a little bit more research about that, about the various songs that show up in the story. And they're all set to the tunes of known songs. And I have looked them up before. And some of them are songs that I just don't know myself. I'm not, I don't have a big musical theater background, so I don't know a lot of those, but, uh, there are a few that are very obvious. There's one that's up, that's set to the tune of Rawhide, which I think most people know, you know, um, I, I can't think of how it goes right now <laughs> off the top of my head. Rawhide,
0: I uh, know. I can't think yeah. either. <laughs>
1: Wait, we need to find
0: it in the book and then we can sing it.
1: There's that video that Patrick Stewart (laughs) sings Rawhide and a bunch of other country music hits. Oh, does he? We need to look that up. (laughs) So, um, so I'm looking in here
0: right now. Um, I don't know, but like we were saying, there's nothing in this, this is on the other side of the page we were talking about. There's nothing in the book that tells you what these songs are based on that you know what what's the melody yeah. you know oh this is a play on this song or whatever it would have been great i think in this book if there was a footnote that said you know to the tune of that way when you got to mm-hmm. it you could you know in your head sing it along as you're reading the lyrics because i would say all but that one was the one i mean i i didn't know what tunes that these were to you know um, yeah. but in back then when this book first came out, you didn't have the internet that you could just go and randomly, you know, Oh, let me go f- look for this song. Um, and by the way, I found it, you know, it's, uh, rollin', rollin', rolling, keep your right. camel going. Let the non-coms know if you're tired. Anyway, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's in the book. Yeah. You know? But I think we yeah. knew what that tune was because of the rollin', rollin', rolling, you know?
1: Right. Yeah. You just, as soon as you read that, your brain kicks in. If you're, if you're, know the song at all. Now I know like various conventions over the years apparently, or at least one convention, has they've had people put together and put on shows with these I've songs. I mean I haven't seen that it, but would I've heard be, of
0: that. Yes, that they've done that.
1: I would so love to see that. I don't know if that, I'm assuming that's probably something that hasn't happened for a while. I'm assuming that was probably quite a few years ago oh, would be my Dan, guess. Dan, you know I what? You and I are totally going to Star wrong.
0: Trek Las Vegas this year together. So, you know, this is our <laughs> opportunity to do revive
1: this and do it a performance there. <laughs> do you think me I mean, you you for sure, but in my case, do you think maybe they would rather somebody who could sing? <laughs> um, no. <laughs> it's funnier if we can't sing. <laughs> All right. Well, if you're at Star Trek Las Vegas and you happen to see me or Bruce, come up to us, and we will not sing any of these songs because we don't know them. We're not. We, I could do the. Rolling, rolling, rolling. <laughs> we could do that one. We could do that one. If I have my ebook with me, I'll I'll pull it up and we can do that. But uh, yeah, <laughs> I I know
0: somebody. I bet we can convince Scott Mance, who does like a lot of the hosting oh, MC from Axis Hollywood.
1: Oh, we'll totally. get him to do it. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, yeah. So, you know, listeners out there, we want to hear from you about this book. Uh, if especially if you have seen one of these performances at a Star Trek convention, we would love to hear about what that was like. So I'm I'm putting the call out for that because I want to know what that's like. But I guess kind of wrapping up here, Bruce, what are your kind of final thoughts about how much for just the planet and maybe a final rating? And I want to be the first one to ask because <laughs> I got to I gotta somehow justify the rating I'm going to give it.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, I'd, I'm not going to give it a really great rating, but I, that doesn't mean that it's not a decent book. I think it really depends on your sense of humor or how you come into the book and approach it. And again, I mean, some of the humor worked for me and some of it didn't. And there were certain things I just felt, you know, like it, it wasn't satisfying me enough. Like it didn't complete certain scenes or explain some things better. And I really wanted, if anything, just the characters reactions to be more of what I would expect, how they would react in these situations. Uh, and no, we never see really our crew break out into a song on their own. So, <laughs> you know, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, I mean, there's, I, I think it's what you said at the beginning of the show is there's some people are going to love it. Some people are going to hate it. I'm not, I don't hate it. I don't love it. I did not have a problem reading through it. It was not like I I had to, I, you know. I, there's been a few rare times in Star Trek novels where I really was struggling getting through it. I did not struggle through this. It, you know, it was an easy read. It was fun read. But outside of that, I would say that I would give it maybe, you know, a couple of pies out of a half dozen to throw at Dan's face.
1: <laughs> nice, awesome. Yeah. No. I. It's kind of for me, in the age of, you know, television shows that have that weird random musical episode that shows up, right? I mean, Buffy the Vampire Slayer did a musical. I've never really watched that show, but I've heard it's great and that episode is great. Uh, I've recently been watching The Flash and I watched their musical episode, which was ridiculous, but they figured out a way to do it. You know, there's kind of some weird justification for doing a musical episode, and I feel like this is kind of Star Trek's musical episode. And very early on, they beam down, and and at some point, the natives start into song about something, and Kirk says, "You know, if this is a planet whose civilized whose culture randomly breaks into song at the drop of a hat, I guess we have to go with it." <laughs> and you know, it's kind of that's almost to me the author telling the reader. Just go And with I it. did like, like that
0: line. I'm glad you mentioned that because it does explain yeah. some of the, why they don't react the way I think they should.
1: Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's, it's, it's a ridiculous explanation though. Like I'll be honest and it's, it's hand wavy and it's like, you know, just, just relax, just go with it. But over the course of this book, both times I've read it, I did just relax and I just went with it, I guess. And I love it. Like there's things that don't make sense and there's things that are just ridiculously absurd, but I can't help but recognize that when I'm done this book, I'm laughing, I'm smiling. I have had a really enjoyable time reading this book, both the first time and this time. And I think if you go into it with that attitude and, you know, don't expect something that it's not, I think you'll appreciate it much more than if you go into it, you know, not, not with an open mind. And I'm, I'm not saying that everyone's going to like this. I totally get that. There's a huge subset of people that will just think this is totally stupid. And I get that. I totally understand that, but I have to give this one five out of five. Paramount pictures, stars ringing a mountain while we're playing golf with Klingons. Nice because i love it well i think this is
0: one of the first times that you and i are total opposite ends of our opinion of a book um usually we're pretty much in line but again i think it's just you know maybe just a different sense of humor or something uh that works for some people that doesn't work for others it's like when i've done improv um there's you know, scenes that some people really say they love and others like, Oh, I, I didn't think that was funny at all. You know, it's like, everybody's got their own Mm -hmm. like sense of
1: humor to it. But, um, yeah,
0: I, I'm glad we, we, that we read it. It was,
1: it was fun. Yeah, me too. This is one that I've been wanting to cover for a while and it's, it's one that Again, like I said, I totally get people will have very different opinions on and I can't fault anybody for that opinion. And I hope you don't fault me for just unabashedly loving this, even though I can recognize there's a lot of things that are totally ridiculous. But,
0: I would never feel bad about anybody loving a Star Trek novel.
1: <laughs> I don't care what the novel is. Here, here. <laughs> So, and, and I would never begrudge anybody their personal opinion about Something. Yeah. So. Yeah. And, you know, one thing. Oh, this is one good. thing about
0: this novel is we had the uh, character of um, of Poke that we mentioned that you know quoted Orson Welles and stuff, and he's all into this, you know, early twentieth century movies and culture and stuff, which is a little odd for a Klingon. But at the same time, there were so many references to old movies and lines and things like that that I was actually craving. And they were in an old movie theater too on this planet. I was actually craving the need of, of going to watch an old movie. Like I wanted Mm. to go watch like, Oh, that's an old classic. Oh, I kind of feel like watching that now. Like the book was making me want to do that.
1: Yeah. And in an old theater with like, you know, this, this kind of chairs that squeak when you pull them down a little bit because it's so old, but you know, it's got those big velvet curtains and those velvet ropes and the old popcorn machine. And, oh, you know what, man? Dan? Yeah. I love that. I've,
0: I've been saying this since <laughs> I was a teenager. My dream thing to do when I retire is to buy an old theater, refurbish it and show movies, old movies in it.
1: Oh man, that would be awesome. <laughs> I would get in on All that. Right, with let's you do it. If, uh, yeah, Totally. Well, it's been fun talking about really old vintage movie theaters today, but it's not the only thing we've been discussing on the network, so here's a quick look at some of the other things you may have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.fm, to the journey! You really did reorient my thinking about the mess hall. Now I need to rewatch every scene with the mess hall and, and try to visualize Neelix's kitchen as the captain's dining room. I just assumed that when, when she said, this used to be my private dining room, that she meant the whole mess hall, like the entire room that they're in. That would be gigantic. How have I watched Voyager for
0: what is now 23 years and not realized this? The 602 Club
1: he can be soft and caring and then suddenly be funny and sarcastic but he's you know it's sort of that scene where he's with his um therapist in the car and she's <laughs> supposed to be evaluating him and he's saying uh she goes you know i i love this just as much as the next girl but and then she said something like who's that girl oh the next girl the next girl <laughs> the one who clearly is better than you the edge a star trek discovery podcast you know, Admiral Cornwall. Like,
0: let's discuss this more, and you know, take off your combat. Like,
1: who would do that to an admiral? And so it's like, how did he have that? You know, knowledge. Warp five. Good thing they had those peaches at the start of the episode. Good thing I he know. convinced her to bite it. The moral of Chekhov's the story gun. is always eat your peaches.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. Chekhov's gun. I'm telling you.
1: Chekhov's peach. And that's what else
0: is happening on Trek.fm.
1: So check out all these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. Where did you find this podcast? Well, you'll find a lot more Trek FM podcasts right there. And if you're an Apple user, be
0: sure to hit the subscribe button in the Apple podcasts on iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV or the desktop iTunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they become published. And please Leave us a star rating and written review, which we got one recently, which we're going to read here shortly. And if you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. And you can find our shows on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and most third-party apps. And you can stream and download the MP3 file from our
1: website or grab that RSS link. And if you'd like to help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Just visit Patreon.com/TrekFM. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com/TrekFM to get all of the details. Perks can include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more. And those are all available through our special Patrons website, Patron Zone. It requires a great deal of money to produce and distribute these shows each month, and we really appreciate any support you can give. We really hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all of the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. So we do have an iTunes review by Chris Hill, and this was a five-star review, so thank you for that, first of all. And Chris writes, I love your takes on the books. The novels have been with me for most of my life. I would read the books while I was in transit from the States to my deployments. The most recent episode, Hogwarts Academy, helped me remember one such book. I thoroughly enjoyed that book and wished Bill and the Reeves Stevens were able to conti- continue the stories. I also enjoyed the news and comic reviews. Well, thank you so much for that, Chris. That was of course our review of Collision Course you're talking about. Episode there. 227. And <laughs> yeah. And that one was a lot of fun. Um, yeah. The Shatnerverse novels. I kind of, I never thought I'd say this, but after that, I kind of almost wish that we got more of those myself. So Yeah. Not an opinion I ever thought I'd have, but
0: hmm. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. But, you know, there's, um,
0: (laughs) I think we mentioned on that show too, there's other Academy books, not by Shatner, but maybe we'll venture into those other books someday. Yeah, for sure. And we'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show. And there are many ways you can do that. And the best place to join that larger conversation is in the Babel Conference. It's our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, Enter the search field on Facebook and it should come right up. And if you'd like to send us an email, well, you can do that by using the form on our website at trek.fm slash contact. Choose to send to a show and select literary treks and that will come right to us. And you can also find the network on Twitter at Trek
1: FM and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Trek And of course, literary treks we're talking about books so we have a goodreads group where we have bookshelves with all of our previously covered books as well as the currently reading section so you know what's coming up for future shows and of course there are great conversations happening about all of the books and comics just search for literary treks on goodreads and click join group and we'll let you right in We'd like to take this opportunity to thank Norman C. Lau, Ken Tripp, Greg Rosier, Brandon Shemutala, Justin Ozer, and Jeffrey Harlan for their support of the Trek FM network, and especially for being associate producers for literary treks as well. Thank you guys. We really appreciate it. Now, Bruce, when you're not brandishing a golf club facing incoming fire alongside your Klingon opponent, where can we find you? Aye, lad, you can find me by... there you go Klingon
0: you can find me on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex and you can find me on the Star Wars Report podcast and you can find that anywhere you get your podcasts or go to starwarsreport.com and of course Solo that's the big talk right now so check us out there and uh, of course you can always find me in the Babel Conference on Facebook and Dan when you're not eating your orange grits and drinking electric blue orange juice. Where can people find
1: you? (laughs) Well, I certainly am not worried about the blue orange juice. I, I think that's just normal. I'll just drink that. That's fine. Uh, but uh, yeah, if I don't end up in the hospital, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Kurtratz, That's K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S. You can find me on facebook.com slash Productions and on youtube.com slash Productions, where I make videos about Star Trek mostly because what else is there in the world really to talk about than Star Trek? I mean, it's great, ain't it? <laughs> that's all we talk about anyway. here. That and the Brady Bunch. Yeah, exactly. Oh, we got. I got to tune into your Brady Bunch Well, I haven't started it yet. <laughs> and just so you know, we have all
0: the seasons, all five seasons on DVD, and my daughters actually wanted to watch them all with me, and they did. So now they're up to speed.
1: Oh, that's awesome. They, they can be your co-hosts. I yes, and
0: anybody who's watched Brady Bunches, <laughs> you know there's an episode where Greg tells Marcia the best way to break up with a guy is just to say something suddenly came up. When he asked you out on a date, my daughter actually used that on a guy and it worked.
1: Nice. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) Well, on that note, thank you all everyone for listening. And until next time live long and read on. You call that light reading to each his own. Number one.